Lord, I just I thank you for this time. I thank you for these men. Um, I thank you for our church, for the friendships that we have around this room, for the for the brotherhood that uh, we have in the body of Christ. Of recognizing that though we come from all different backgrounds, um, we have very different kind of personal stories, and yet we have connection and community and fellowship because of you. And Father, I just pray for this weekend as we get to look at this topic of forgiveness one that is at the heart of the gospel, one that is um, that each of us, uh, it, it will affect all of us differently just with our personal stories. But Lord, I just pray that you give us soft hearts, that you allow this space to be one that um, you would allow us just to consider how we need to grow in our forgiveness um, towards each other, towards the people in our life, Lord, just use us as a church, use us as the men of our church to lead our families, to lead our community, to um, just to lead uh, and push back against the darkness of the world. Um, and we're going to get to do that with just forgiveness, um, again, being at the heart of things. So just be with us now and in your son's name. Amen. Okay, just some um, housekeeping things on the teaching side before I jump into it. Uh, here's how I came to this topic. I picked up a book. I've, I, um, I have a problem, and that is I order way too many books that I can you know, hardly ever read, but I'm going to try, and I'm going to keep ordering it. It's a problem. I'm just going to accept it and keep going. And I ordered a book about six months ago by the, the title of Forgive by Tim Keller. Now, I'm a huge fan of Tim Keller. I greatly appreciate his stuff. And I, I purchased it for kind of personal devotion, personal consumption. I was just like, I wanted to read this, so I was reading it in my own time. Um, but what came out of there was, was recognizing that I had kind of forgotten um, and needed to just be recalibrated in some things in my own heart and mind of just the centrality of the message of forgiveness um, that is with the gospel. And just really, for me, it, ex it excited my soul to just say, okay, I want to bring this to our church and to our men um, so that's kind of where, where this is born. There's going to be a lot of things that I'm going to quote from Tim. It's going to come from that book. That Jeremy also has two copies of that um, that we're going to give away. If you don't get one of those, I would highly recommend ordering a copy of Forgive for yourself. It would be a fantastic read even to go through with your wives um, or with your community. Um, and I trust that it's going to just encourage your soul like it is mine. Um, so that's the kind of what started it, and then I'll get into why I've kind of chosen this title, The Expulsive Power of Forgiveness, in a minute. But just to start this off, one of the big discussions that um, we've had as elders, one of the things that we can have as staff, one of the things that's really kind of close to my heart and mind is to understand the primary things of Christianity. There's kind of three buckets of information that we deal with. We deal with its primary things, secondary things, and tertiary things or important things, semi-important things, and then, okay, we can agree to disagree on these things. And one of the big things is always, what are the primary things of Christianity? What goes in that first bucket? And as, I was, as I've been kind of considering this and even um, considering this topic, what came to mind was the Apostles' Creed. Now, there's kind of two ancient creeds in church history. There's the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Both of them were written somewhere between the 3rd and 6th century. We think the Apostles' Creed came first, but they were kind of written at that same time period, just in that first couple hundred years since Christ um, left the earth. And, and the apostles were really dealing with, and the disciples early on saying, okay, what are those essential tenets of Christianity? 
I want to read for you the Apostles' Creed. And I want, I hope that you'll, you'll see how this connects to us. Here's the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the, dead, from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, think universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now this creed is recited in a lot of churches every single Sunday, and it's been around, as I said, for you know, at least 1,500 years. But the writers of this creed thought that the forgiveness of sins was so important, so fundamental, foundational to the Christian religion that they put it here in the Apostles' Creed. It highlights that theme of what the Christian faith includes is the forgiveness of sins. And in one sense, what you can say, and, and, and really what I have been, um, my heart has just been compelled to say, is that we don't spend enough time focusing on the forgiveness that we have. I don't think that we walk around with saying, like, we are people who have been forgiven. That really is what is at the heart of the gospel, is at the heart of Christianity, is at the heart of who we are. We are a people who have been forgiven. We are a community that finds our um union around that. What we are known for is that we are a community of forgiven sinners. I mean, just recognize that. that the thing that we all are declaring, whether implicitly or explicitly, is we have been forgiven. It's, I, don't, I don't think it's an understatement to say that forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. And so what I am doing and want to do this weekend is remind us of that and reorient ourselves towards that, but even more than that, because we have been forgiven, we are called to forgive. So we're going to spend uh, the vast majority of our time this evening in the book of Matthew. I want to go to two places. I'm going to go to Matthew 6, and then I'm going to Matthew 18. Matthew 6 is on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is reorienting um, the um, Jewish minds there. They thought that they understood what religion was supposed to look like, what the gospel was supposed to be, what Christianity was going to be. They thought they, they had kind of all, all these things put together. And uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes in and it, varies, it, it just kind of from the very very beginning says, you, you think it's this way, it's actually this way. It gets down to how are we to approach God in prayer. And he gets to Matthew 6, and I'm not going to read the whole section, but he gets down to here's how you should pray. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is that most basic structure of this is how you should approach your heavenly Father. It says this in Matthew 6, 9. Pray then like this. And you guys could even recite this. You don't have to, but you're going to hear this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, that piece of the Lord's Prayer is consistent throughout the Gospels. Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, adds two additional verses. 
And if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's a weight. That is a weight. That is a, 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 a just this, this weighty declaration that our Heavenly Father will forgive us our trespasses if we forgive. But He will not forgive our trespasses if we don't forgive. I just want to start our discussion with, with that understanding. What we cannot say as believers is, I don't want to forgive. What we cannot say as, as believers is, I shouldn't have to forgive. There's no escaping this subject, which again is that weight that I just got to add in there because it's very clear. If you forgive others, your heavenly father will forgive you. If you do not forgive others, your heavenly father will not forgive you. Now, I want, to, I want to start this discussion. We have th- three slash four sessions. You know, there's going to be three sessions here, and then uh, on Sunday morning, we're also going to be talking about this as a church. I want to give you guys maybe a little warning slash exhortation. Forgiveness is a difficult thing. And I know that each one of you, each one of you, as we're talking about forgiveness, because it's happened to me, is going to take this personally. Because each one of you has a situation in your mind. Maybe it's more recent than, than not, as Tom said. Where somebody's hurt you, has broken promises, has felt like they've stabbed you in the back, has said that they would do one thing but actually did another, has taken advantage of you, has wronged you, has lied, has cheated, has stolen, has broken your heart, has broken their word, has done the unthinkable. And some of that might be recent, some of that might be in the past. It could be a father, a mother, a wife, a child, a coworker, an employee, a family member, a friend, a pastor. And as we're talking about this subject, you're going to feel this. And here's my request in my prayer for us that you don't close off your heart to actually dealing with that because what we're going to get into is it's so easy for us because forgiveness can be so painful that we don't allow ourselves to go through the steps of forgiveness we're going to look at that in a minute and instead of actually forgiving them we just wall it off and move on I, I know in my own life, as, again, as, I'm, as I was reading this book the first time, I went back years ago and, and my pastor was like, oh man, I never dealt with that offense, that wrong, well. And that's the hard part about being a pastor. I have to recognize we live in a broken world. We are all sinners and we just blow each other to pieces at times. And so none of you have the option to tell me that this subject is not applicable. Okay? Back to Matthew 6. So here's how I could preach this text. Here's here's how I could approach this whole subject of forgiveness. I could look at Matthew 14 and 15 and basically say, well, the Bible says you have to forgive, so forgive, dang it. That would be very uncharitable, very unloving, and um, it would be impossible. For you, for you to actually do that. 
allow me to explain why I titled this, um, uh, the, I, I guess this series, this subject, what I titled, The Expulsive Power of Forgiveness. I explained it once on Sunday mornings, but I'll explain it again here and now. I know it is a $10 word and I'm stealing it. I'm stealing it from another sermon. There's a sermon out there that has highly impacted me. It's, it's, by, uh, it's by a Scottish reformer of Thomas Chalmers and it's The Explosive Power of a New Affection. And this is something that he pulls out in that sermon. So just allow me for, for a minute to kind of describe to you the crux of this. Who knows how, how a vacuum works? Not like the functional thing. How do you create a vacuum? There's some engineers in here. You suck everything out, right? And you don't fill it back with anything. That's the essence of a vacuum. Our hearts can't live as a vacuum. Our hearts have to have something inside of it. And if I were to approach the topic of forgiveness and just say, stop holding a grudge, stop being resentful, stop being angry, stop being frustrated, stop being hurt. And I just asked you to stop, I'll be asking you to create a vacuum in your heart because I'll be asking you to pull something out and not fill it with something else. That's a violation to your soul. That's a violation to your heart. So the expulsive power of, of forgiveness is that sin, resentment, pain that is so deep inside of us and those situations that we think back upon and go, how could they do that? The answer to that isn't, well, just forgive already. No, the answer is to have something, a greater power coming in and pushing it out. I, just for the sake of time, because I'll probably have you guys fall asleep on me. I'm not going to read a section of the sermon. I would highly recommend, though, the expulsive power of a new affection is a fantastic Sermonary, it's old English, so you're going to have to, you know, deal with that. But it essentially, it's what will push out that pain is a greater affection. It's something better. And, and what I'm going to say is for this, what will push out that pain that lives inside us all deeply is an understanding of forgiveness. Because a greater power is needed to expel the lesser desires of the heart. I just want to talk briefly about the power of forgiveness. And I want to go from the natural to the supernatural. It's really interesting how non-believers, secular world, has identified the need for forgiveness. This is what the Harvard Health Review said about forgiveness. It says this, Practicing forgiveness can have a powerful health benefits. Observational studies and even some randomized trials suggest that forgiveness is associated with lower levels of depression, anxiety, hostility, re reduced substance abuse, higher self-esteem, and greater life satisfaction. Yet forgiving people is not always easy. So that's Harvard. Tim Keller, forgiven. So let's just, if I can quote from the book for the first time. The human need for forgiveness appears to be indelible. It won't go away by denouncing it or trying to reconstruct it. The need I'm referring to is both a profound need to grant forgiveness and to receive forgiveness. And then again, I'll just quote Matthew 6. For if you forgive others' trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So if I can put all those things together about the power of forgiveness, here's kind of where I've, where I've come to. Number one, we've been called to forgive by God. Number two, and I'm this great... You physically need to forgive because living in resentment and anger is not healthy. And number three, 
saying that you're built different or that you don't need to receive or give forgiveness is in fact a false assumption. So as I said, none of you can look at me and say, this doesn't apply. Okay. What's forgiveness? What is forgiveness? We're going to jump to Matthew 18 here in a minute, but what is forgiveness? How can we define forgiveness? Does anyone want to have a shot at that? Actually, don't. Well, I don't because I don't want to like have to say anyone's wrong. That's sad to throw people under the bus in that way. Here's how I've, here's how I heard, here's how I was taught what forgiveness is. Functionally speaking, forgive and forget. Forgive an offense that happened to you, forget about it and walk forward. That forgiveness equals forgetting an offense. What we're going to see, that's not biblical forgiveness. The Bible never asks us to forget in order to forgive. God doesn't even forget our sins when he forgives us. That's not how forgiveness happens. Yes, Psalm 130 uh, verse 12 says this, as far as the east is from, from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. But it doesn't forget about our transgressions. No, rather, it's a very, but that's very different than forgetting. God will no longer remember us according to our sins, but he doesn't forget about our sins. So I, I stress this because so often that idea of forgive and forget is misused because what we tell people is forgiveness comes with time and healing comes with time. And that pain that you had because your dad did that thing and you're trying to you know, get over it, well, give it enough time and you'll be able to forgive him because you'll forget about it. That is just the wrong way. And let me tell you, that does not bring any healing at all. That just allows you to live in the resentment and the grudges and the burdens of your soul. So the question is that we can have, so I'm looking at this, what is forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is, if I can use some language again from that sermon, is the exchanging of an old affection for a new affection. The exchanging of affections. But then the question could be asked, how do we get from one affection to another? And I would offer you four steps. This is kind of my answer of what is forgiveness. I think it's four steps. And this is going to set up and walk us through this. And then we're going to look at Matthew 18 to see how uh, we can see everything happen here. This is forgiveness in four steps. Number one, it's the exposure of an offense. Number two, it's acknowledging the cost of the offense. Number three, it's the pardoning of the offense. And number four, it's the restoration of the relationship. Exposure of the offense, acknowledging of the cost of the offense, pardoning the offense, restoration of the relationship. Just briefly walking through this. Exposure of the offense. Forgiveness starts by telling the truth. Forgiveness starts by exposure. Not by trying to cover up. Not by trying to walk away. Not by ignoring not by telling half-truths. It starts with exposure. So, step one, exposure of the offense. Step two, acknowledging the cost of the offense. Now, it's, it, this at times is even the hardest for us guys, but it's having an honest conversation about what was lost. 
It's acknowledging what somebody has done to you or acknowledging what you have done to somebody else. Here's why I say it's the hardest for us men to do this, because we don't like to admit when something hurts, right? We don't like to say, that hurt my feelings, because we're not allowed to have feelings. We don't like to say, that was painful. We don't like to say, that cost me something. That was, that was wrong of you to do that. We don't like to go there because that breaks down the, you know, the strong exterior of us being able to handle all the things, all the things uh, thrown at us. We don't like to appear weak. But if we're going to acknowledge the cost of an offense, we have to say, hey, that hurt me. There's also an element in this of pity. And the pity part is we're able to look at somebody and go, I know you didn't mean to, but you hurt me. I, I, I know you didn't mean to, but that's an offense against me. I, I know you didn't mean to, but you, you, you wronged me in this way. Step three, pardon of the offense. Once the cost of the offense has been understood, the forgiveness occurs by the debt being canceled. Now, I got to d- dive into this language because the debt being canceled is at the heart of forgiveness. What does pardoning mean? Well, it means that the offense and the debt is absorbed by the person who is forgiving. I just just briefly read, read what, what Keller says. Forgiveness means that when you want to make them suffer, instead you refuse to do it. It is difficult and costly, but through it you are absorbing the debt for yourself. You are absorbing the pain on yourself. You're pardoning them and saying, I know you hurt me. I know you took something from me. I know that you caused a wound in me. I'm going to accept that and pardon you. And then number four, the restoration of the relationship. The relationship between the parties is, is restored. Any person who truly forgives is open to reconciliation and the restoration of a relationship. Now, four things. Again. Exposure of the offense, acknowledging the cost, parting the offense, restoration. I want to show this to you from Scripture because you might be sitting there now going, oh boy, that's a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. How does that work out? Turn to Matthew 18, please. The parable of the unforgiving servant. Probably could assume that we're going there. It's one of those, um, I would say, famous but notable passages on forgiveness. I just want to read the first section and then we're going to walk through. But what we're going to see is that those four things are seen in this passage. 1821, Matthew 1821. Then Peter came up and said, Lord, how often will, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since, he, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and the payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. First, we're going to finish this in a minute, but I just want to walk through this first. I think Peter's question 
it seems that what's on his mind was Matthew 6. Like he's thinking, okay, you tell me that I have to forgive in order for you to forgive me, but does that, how many times do I have to forgive my brother until I'm no longer expected or liable to forgive my brother? It's like he's trying to have Matthew 6 and Jesus now gives him Matthew 18 because Peter's saying, you don't know the knuckleheads that I have to deal with. You don't know the pain that I'm trying to absorb here. You don't know what I'm what it's like living in a broken world. I mean, he obviously does because he's Jesus. But it, Peter's trying to figure this out. Like, what does this forgiveness thing look like with you? And then he gives us this parable, which again, very famous one. But I want to walk through these four steps of, of forgiveness and see how we see them brought out in this parable. First thing, exposure of the offense. 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. The king knew that he had debts out there. The king knew that there were offenses against him, that he was owed something. And so he was the one that said, okay, I I wish to expose these offenses. I I don't want these debts to to sit there, um, you know, just left unnoticed and untouched. Let's settle the accounts so that restoration and reconciliation can be had. That's at the end of it. I wish to live in harmony with all men. Some men have offenses against me, i.e., in this particular time, debts against me. Let's work out those debts so that we can move forward in reconciliation. So he calls people. He wants to deal with his debts. And then number two, acknowledging the cost. This is a full exposure comes into effect. This is a clear, a clear accounting of the wrongs. And so you can see this. When he began to settle, one who was brought to him owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I know we don't deal in talents, and it's not like the human talents of, you know, the fact that Larry can make anything, and, you know, whether it's wood or metal or any other object. Where's Larry? Oh, there he's Larry. Okay, there he is. But a talent here is one year's wage for a laborer. One year's wage. One talent equals one year's wage. So let's just put some you know, dollars around that so that we can understand that. If, let's say, an average income is $40,000. We're going to use a, you know, the, the uh, national average here. 10,000 times 40,000 equals $400 billion. $400 billion. I found this interesting. That's more. That's that's uh, that's more than the gross national income of eighty percent of the countries in our world, and eighty percent of the yeah, of of our world. So, all the commentaries agree that he is making a vivid statement of this immeasurable and insurmountable debt. Like they agree, this isn't a real thing. Because I mean, how in the world would you even, you know? borrow that amount. Like, what in the world are you doing with $400 billion owed to his name? But it's a clear accounting of the debt. The guy said, this is what you owe me. The offense that you have against me, the debt that you have against me is $400 billion. So we go to step three. We have the fact that he is, you know, exposure of the offense. He's acknowledging the cost of the offense. He's doing the work to go, oh, wow, what you owe me is $400 billion. Now there's the pardoning of the offense. This is Matthew 18, 26. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, 
Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, this pay back everything is, is not just this, this expression of regret, but it's an offer for restitution. Both parties agree an offense has been made. Let me try to pay it back. But what does the king do? He releases them. He pardons them. He forgives them. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. This has been the thing that has been most shocking about forgiveness for me. This is the piece, if I, you know, I'll, I'll break the whole sermon preaching thing. This is the piece that blew my mind. What happened to the debt? Who took on the debt? The one who forgave. Like, the master was owed $400 billion. He gave out $400 billion to this guy. That's what he was owed. And when he pardoned him, the guy was still owed $400 billion. But what he said was, I'll take that responsibility on. I'll take that offense on. I'll own that. You're free to go. It's not like the the offense went away. It's not like the master looked at the servant and said, you're good to go and $400 billion is automatically credited to his account. No, the master went, I'll live without that. And this guy got to go free. So here's the, here's the thing. To forgive someone, this is Keller again, to forgive someone's debt is to, to, yeah, to forgive someone's debt is to absorb the debt yourself. This is the analogy he gives. If a friend borrows your car, and totals it through reckless driving, and hasn't any ability to repay you financially, you may say, I forgive you, but the price of the wrong does not evaporate into thin air. You either find the money to buy a new car or you go without one. Either way, forgiveness means the cost of the wrong moves from the perpetrator to you to bear it. That's the crazy thing about forgiveness. And it recognizes the wrong. It acknowledges the cost fully. But the pardoning is saying, I'm going to take that upon myself. Because it's not like all of a sudden the pain goes away and the debt goes away and the wrongs go away. But in the forgiveness, it's, I'll take that on. So what then is making restitution? Because that's the fourth step. Well, restitution is the, restitu- is, is the reconciliation of the relationship because you are taking the cost of their wrong. So forgiveness then is a voluntary, is a form of voluntary suffering. In forgiving rather than retaliating, you make the choice to bear the cost. That's the thing about forgiveness. It's so, when, when, when we spew and just kind of sit holding grudges and when we sit holding um, just resentment, what we're doing is that what we're saying is, well, I don't want to bear this cost, so I'm not going to forgive you. But what we're recognizing is there's an offense here. And when a wrong occurs, when a relational debt arises, we have to acknowledge that debt. 
And that debt is either paid through justice or that debt is paid through forgiveness by saying, I'll take that debt on myself. Now, I just want to keep reading Matthew 18 because we see that um, while this man was saved, while this man was, was forgiven $400 billion, it, he clearly did not understand where this forgiveness came from because in verse 28, and when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii here is a one day's wage. So he is owed one year's wage per talent. This is a guy who owed one day's wage. So, you know, this is a debt that actually could be paid, paid back and seized him and began to choke him and saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw that, that this had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me? And, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he, he should pay all of his debts so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Notice here at the end of the story, we get all the way back around to what he's saying in Matthew 6. There's a chart in your handout that I gave, and I'm, I'm not going to go over it just for the sake of time, but human forgiveness must be based upon our experience with divine forgiveness. Because if it's not, the story that you have in your mind right now of, but they don't deserve my forgiveness. The person that you've been struggling with for years or maybe days and like, but I don't want to forgive them because of what they've done, the cost that I've incurred because of their brokenness and sin, it's really easy to say they don't deserve it. But when you recognize that in light of divine forgiveness, you realize, oh, I was forgiven $400 billion. I think I can forgive a couple thousand. I think that'll be okay. So what's the difficulty with forgiveness? I think the most difficult part of forgiveness is kind of twofold. For the one doing the forgiving, it's to recognize that... Uh, to not be frustrated or angry with the pain that the cost brings. I mean, just think about the king who had to forgive $400 billion. Think about your friend that if you were to wreck a car, the pain of you replacing that car. Think about how the, the pain that you have incurred because a family member has wronged you. Think about the pain that you could incur because you have to forgive your spouse or your child for doing something. I recognize that the pain that we have in forgiving is there's some things we, we, we can think about and go, our life could have been so much easier if that person hadn't have done that thing to me. That's the difficulty with forgiveness. Because we say life would be so much better if that thing wasn't a part of it. Like the king could say, I would have had $400 billion to go buy myself a yacht. But he took it. I wouldn't have had to struggle with my family member or whatever. 
if they didn't do that. That's, that's the difficulty with forgiveness for being forgiven or the one who has to give forgiveness is we have to take an account of saying, yeah, that's a painful reality that I have to reconcile in my soul. But I think the real cost of forgiveness and the even greater difficulty for us is asking for mercy to be forgiven. I think it's actually easier to absorb the debt than it is to walk up to somebody and say, can you take my debt? Because we're not built to, to plead for mercy. Something inside of us that just doesn't like that. Again, we don't like to appear like we're weak, vulnerable, hurt. But forgiveness means that this guy realized, this servant, I have no other choice but to plead with you. You know, this is why this man's request was, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. It was in one sense a pathetic offer because he could have never repaid $400 billion even in a thousand lifetimes. But we do that to God. When we look at God and even when, when what, what we can say to God is that, okay, I want your forgiveness, but at the same time, let me earn back your, uh, allow me to earn back a good standing with you. Allow me to work my way back into your good graces. Allow me through our good works, through our pursuits to reconcile myself to you. But that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is I'll take that debt on. Justice or, I don't know, earning back says I'll repay the debt. Those are two different things. Repaying the debt and pardoning the debt are two very different realities. But when we have an improper view of forgiveness, what we do is we assume that forgiveness is well, I'm going to get back into their good graces. I'm going to be able to earn back my favor with them. I'm going to be able to, through time, attention, energy, reconcile myself to them. And I think this demonstrates some wrong models of forgiveness that we can so easily fall into. And I think we come by these kind of these models um, honestly, because I think it's the forgiveness that's demonstrated by our world. And I think forgiveness has been skewed in a couple of um, key ways. And um, I'm, I'm going to go through these kind of three things, and then we're going to set up kind of what, how the Bible looks at forgiveness, and then we're going to close. No one's falling asleep, which is good. And then our next two sessions is, is, is going to be building upon this. But I think one of the things, one of the wrong ways in which we offer forgiveness is a cheap grace or cheap forgiveness. Cheap forgiveness looks like this, that the only real concern that we have is for the emotional side of the forgiveness. We just want everyone to feel better. We just want us to make sure that we're, you know, okay to sit next to each other. We just want to make sure that, you know, we can, we, we, we're not throwing pots and pans at each other. But it's a, it's a cheap grace because it's not acknowledging the pain. It's not exposing the offense. It's only focused on let's just pardon and get back to, I don't know, a happy life. And the reason it's cheap is because it allows one person or the other to sit in this, in, in this state where it's like, okay, we're talking again, but 
you just blew a hole in my life and can I not acknowledge that? There's no conversation of like, you owe me $400 billion. At least, you know, let me tell you I will pardon you. Don't expect to just, that debt doesn't exist. You know, that's not there. Let's just be happy. Then there's little grace. That's the second thing that we can see. Little grace is this. It's a transactional forgiveness. It says that the victim gives up anger only if the wrongdoer earns it through extensive acts of repentance and repayment. I'll give you just enough grace to earn your good favor with me again. I'll give you just enough grace to work off this debt. That's a little grace. This is the one I see in marriages all the time, guys. This is the one that's so easy for husbands and wives to slip into. Because you do something, or your wife does something, or even your kids do something, we can extend it to them. Heck, we can do it all over the place. But just in, in marriage, it's like, they did this, and so I'm going to give her the cold shoulder until she recognizes what she does and until she has earned her way back into my good favor. That's not forgiveness. That's a little grace. And then there's a third one. I just call this no grace. There's no forgiveness offered. And you want to know what the opposite of forgiveness is? Justice. Forgiveness then is, you did this to me, you owe me $400 billion. You did this to me, you're going to repay me in full. You did this to me, I'm going to hold this over your head until I'm whole again. We're going to talk more about this in, in, in the tomorrow morning session, but I, that's, that's how the world operates. This cheap grace, little grace, no grace. Want to know what the Bible offers? As a community of saints, a costly grace. And here's what a costly grace is. One that fully acknowledges the weight of the offense. One that pursues justice for the victim and declares mercy upon the perpetrator. Now, you might say those are incompatible. How can you fully acknowledge the weight of an offense, pursue justice, and declare mercy all at the same time? Well, that's because Christ. That's because as believers, that's the grace and forgiveness that we offer to the world. But I would say, guys, and I'll, I'm now at the end of my notes, so this is now just me uh, uh, exhorting us. I see us fall on one side of that equation or the other. We are either really, really good about allowing people to feel the weight of their offense. We are really, really good to say, this is what you have done to me. And we never give them mercy. Or the equal and opposite thing, which I think is just as damning. We never love our brother and sister or husband or wife or whomever enough to look at them and go, this is how you've hurt me. This is what you've done. This is what you've said. This is the offense that you've made. I forgive you 
but I need you to know this is the cost that I'm occurring and taking on myself. And the reason I say that when you don't have both of those is you create a recipe for disaster because we're going to get into this. You either fall off into depression of this like, oh, I've incurred all of these wounds and all of this pain, but I've never been able to acknowledge it to the person who's actually doing it. Or you fall off into bitterness. And why should I be loving? Why should I be forgiving? Why should I be a, a, a gracious man? Because look at all of these offenses that I've had to occur. So the expulsive power of forgiveness is what stops us from either just being run over and equal opposite stops us from just being jerks. And so I am excited as, as we get to study this, as, we, as we're having these discussions, I'm excited to see how a renewed understanding of this topic can strengthen even our church through our families, through you men in such a way where we're, we're creating that culture that's honest about the offenses, but at the same time is going to offer a radical, costly grace because of the grace that we have. Um, so, yeah, we've got, we've, we have a whole lot more to, to uh, go to. We've got two more sessions plus Sunday morning. I'm excited about it. I'll pray, and then there's small groups. Father, thank you for the amazing grace that we have. Thank you for the love of Christ. Um, Lord, use us as your servants. Use us as, as men that, gets, that get to take this amazing reality home, the fact that we are forgiven sinners, and we can take them home and we can approach our wives and our friends and our children and our coworkers and each other. And we can, we can offer them a forgiveness that the, the world can't possibly understand because it finds its root and its foundation not in, in a human justice, but in a divine justice. Lord, just be with us, guys, as we're in small groups. Just uh, you know, allow us to have fruitful and profitable discussions. Lord, use this weekend. Use it to strengthen us. Use it to strengthen our church. Use it to um, soften our hearts. And Lord, I'll just pray, if, if, there's, if there's a situation that these guys are holding on to, that I'm holding on to, that we're holding on to, that we, we need to go to the person. Whether it's something immediate, one of us in the room, or whether it's a, it, a friend or a family member from a long time ago, Lord, give us the wisdom and the conviction to go have that conversation, to restore the relationship, to quiet our souls, to lean not on bitterness, and resentment, but on grace. Lord, just be with us in small groups. In your son's name, amen.